I'm delighted to welcome today Tony Courtney Brown from the Total Body Health Clinic in Wimbledon. Welcome, Tony. Good morning, Elaine. Thank you. Lovely to have you with us today. So um, the Total Body Health Clinic is in Wimbledon, and um, I know you have a variety of different modalities that you use to help people with uh, the health and well-being, both in terms of proactive and reactive. So if they've got something wrong, you can help them deal with it. Um, but also I know that you're interested in helping people to avoid nasties in the first place. So could you just run us through the types of um, tools and resources that you have? And you've got some really, really key, fantastic tools that I'm sure some people have never even heard of. So um, I don't know where to start, but I'll leave that in your hands. OK, right. Um, I'll start with the first one, which is bioresonance, which if people haven't heard of it. It's a way of healing without drugs, which uses the principles of quantum physics. Now, without getting too far into the science, it means that everybody and everything vibrates. And when we're well, we're vibrating at the right frequency. Mm -hmm. and when we're not, we're not. Um, it also means that when we meet people, for instance, and we say we're on the same wavelength, mm -hmm. it's the similar principle, we're on the same frequency. Now, when we're not well, what the bioresonance does is harmonize the frequencies to bring people back into sync and make them better. The next thing that we have is something called a hyperbaric oxygen chamber. Now, normally when we breathe, we breathe in about 24% oxygen. And when you go into the chamber, this boosts it to over 90%. And what that does is clear out all the dead cells, rejuvenate the cells that you have. And it's useful for a wide range of conditions, ranging from serious illnesses through to just keeping people healthy. Allied to that, we have a light bed, which looks rather like a sunbed, and it's got 28,000 LED lamps in it. And that's a mixture of red, infrared, and blue lamps and they all penetrate the body to different levels. So for instance, the blue lamps will do things with your skin to heal up skin conditions. The reds will go further into your body if you've got aches and pains, and the infrared goes right through to your joints and muscles. Then we have a body scanner, which works on the principles of Chinese medicine. So, you wear a pair of headphones, and in particular, these are linked to your left ear, which is where your meridians are. You're then scanned from head to toe, and you can see it happening on a computer screen, and it will show you which parts of your body are operating optimally and which ones might need some support. And just recently, we've got something called a heart rate variability monitor, which virtually checks your level of fitness. And then we can plot at each visit how you're progressing. And then finally, we wrap that up with nutritional advice. So we look at any allergies, food intolerances, um, and people's general lifestyle, how much sleep they get, how much stress they're under, and wrap it all up in total body health. Wow, that is absolutely phenomenal. And if I was starting from scratch, that everything that you've said I would include it that is just phenomenal I've experienced most of those things that you've said um and and, and how, how did you know about bringing all of these together it just popped into my head it was a very very strange thing um we started with bioresonance and we'd gone to a natural health exhibition and we'd seen lots of things there and I was in the shower one day a few months after and I just thought what are these oxygen things? I must research into them some more. So I did some research and thought that looks really interesting, especially around the time of COVID and looking at respiratory disease and so on. And so I thought I must look into that. We went to where they made them, had a look at them, tried them out and thought that's really good. We'll have one of those. Then we saw a light bed um, with all the lamps in it as well. And we saw how there must be synergy between the two. And then thought, okay, if we fill somebody up with oxygen, which gives them more energy, and then 
put them in the light bed as well, that will have an exponential effect. And then when we saw the heart rate variability device as well, we thought, well, what you could do is plot somebody's progress from when they start at each subsequent visit. So both they and we can see the progress that they're making and tweak and amend the therapy accordingly. Um, and then obviously I've experienced lots of health issues and realize that some of that's down to what I've been eating, not eating, uh, vitamin deficiency, mineral deficiency, allergies, which I wasn't aware of and food sensitivities. So then started to go into that in depth as well. And with the devices that we have, it picks up what your allergies and food intolerances are and your mineral and vitamin deficiencies. So then bringing it all together, it means that we can address people's health issues from a number of different perspectives. Absolutely, and from the inside out. So I'm a great believer in, it's, it's all very well, you know, knowing about nutrition and diet and lifestyle, but when people actually see the reports and can see for themselves what's happening inside their body, it's a game changer, isn't it? Absolute game changer. It is, yes. So um, you, 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 you're saying we, Who, who's we? Uh, myself and my wife. Lovely, brilliant, brilliant. So um, bioresonance, I use a bioresonance device daily. Um, HBOT, the hyperbaric oxygen therapy, when I had stage four cancer six years ago, uh, that was part of my strategy. And um, to this day, I recommend people with any condition, um, as you'll know, the muscular, um, what's it called? Uh, sclerosis, uh, multiple sclerosis society has charities all over the UK and, and they, um, they offer that. Um, so yes, I, I use that and it's very, um, it's very, it's very obvious. Um, <clears throat> you, I used to see people going in in wheelchairs into the chamber and walking out. I mean, it's, it's really phenomenal when you, when you flood your body with oxygen. Um, and the heart rate variability, I used to have, well, in fact, I still have it. I don't use it now, but um, I used to run a cardiovascular health clinics so over 10 years ago. And the heart rate variability, again, when people can see what their heart is doing and how hard their heart is having to pump the blood around their body. And then, so if you've got the oxygen flooding in, um, that's going to help the flow of blood and so on and so forth. It's, it's fascinating. And, 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 and the, the, um, the scanners, the light beds, all this sort of stuff. Um, I'll take my hat off to you, Tony. You've got a really awesome combination. They're really, really good. So how, how did you get, you know, you, you had a you had a, an epiphany, an aha moment in the shower, which is where I get mine as well, actually. When I'm in the shower, some, some is kind of a form of active meditation. You get these light bulb moments. Um, so so um, your, your light bulb moment has brought this all together. But let's let's re, re um, trace where you've come from. You mentioned that you had health uh, issues and challenges and so on. Without exception, everybody I have interviewed who's into the health and wellness um, arena now, every single one of us, myself included, we've all got to where we are now through our experiences. And to me, that's really powerful because you can speak with total authenticity and um, support because you know what people are going through because you've been there yourself. But your story is not quite the average that I've uh, of people that I've interviewed before you've got way way more depth to your story um, and it's it's really quite um, remarkable how you're kind of sitting where you're sitting doing the wonderful work you're doing and you're still a spring chicken so um, many many years ahead to you know to help people so I'm not sure where to ask you to start because your story has got a lot a lot to it so again over to you right um start at the beginning I think. Um, my parents are Jamaican and they of, of the Windrush generation they came over here in the 50s um, but they couldn't look after me when I appeared when I was born as my mother was a nurse and my father was still at university so as a result of that I was fostered soon after birth went through a series of foster parents and ended up with some Dutch people from from what I hear from when I was about 10 months old and then stayed with them and 
they to me and my foster brothers who were there with them were my family. And it was a really loving family. And we lived on a flower nursery. And my first memories are, I must have been about two or three, and the flowers must have come up to about here on me. And it was just acres and acres of flowers, tulips, crack, uh, daffodils and crocuses. And it was idyllic. When I was six, however, um, I was returned to my birth parents, who I really didn't know at all. And it was a real traumatic shock to the system. Um, it was a complete culture clash. I didn't know who they were. They didn't know who I was. They were not happy with the way that I'd been brought up by the Dutch people. Um, and it, it was a very difficult time. Also, my parents' marriage didn't work. Uh, they were very violent to each other and very violent to me. So it was a complete reversal of what I'd been used to. And my father in particular had a belt that he would hang up outside in the corridor. And whenever I'd done anything wrong from going out to play or having dirty shoes, or sometimes I didn't even know what I'd done wrong, but I'd be sent to bed and told you're gonna to get a good hiding in the morning. And so I'd lie awake most of the night stressed uh, and then I'll get a good hiding in the morning and then I'll be told what I've been given the beating for, which is usually some minor infringement. So that was really quite difficult. Fortuitously though, then my father hit upon an idea of setting up a charter business, chartering planes to and from the West Indies. And as a result of that, made a lot of money very quickly. Then what happened is I took the 11 plus and failed. And my dad went absolutely berserk. He actually went round to the headmaster of my primary school's house and bawled him out. And um, he said, how, how could my son fail this? And the headmaster said, well, and this is how words affect you forever. He said, he's bright, but not intelligent. Now, my father then came home, gave me another thrashing for that. <laughs> and, um, but the headmaster said, look, there aren't many options available. He's either going to go to the secondary modern or you can pay for him to go somewhere else. My dad said, I don't care, I can pay, I'll pay, I'll pay. So luckily I got sent off to boarding school. And um, for me, that was bliss. It meant getting away from the chaotic home environment, getting away from the beatings, um, but then some new challenges. I was the only black kid in the school and also I'd grown up with Dutch foster parents. We'd lived in Bristol in the West Country and then I'd been brought up by my Jamaican parents. So my accent was something that maybe wasn't too clear to most of the kids at that school with that kind of upbringing. And also because I looked different, then I got pilloried for that as well. So then I saw one of the guys there who I thought was really well-spoken. And so I imitated him and I followed everything that he did, listened to how he spoke. And that's how I speak now, which was something that I just learned from that guy. The interesting thing about going to that school too was I hadn't learned French and I hadn't learned Latin and I had two years in which to learn everything to get up to the standard, the rest of the kids. They let me off Latin, but I had to learn French very quickly. But also I found I was very good at English. And again, through shadowing this chap and listening to how he spoke and how he wrote and so on, I then ended up vying for top position in English with him in the class. I then went off to the next school, an independent boarding school, and the first year there I won three prizes for English, ancient history and geography, but I was still behind on maths and chemistry, never any good at those. Then the next year everything sort of fell apart. I'm not quite sure how it occurred, but um, I lost my motivation, I wouldn't get out of bed in the morning, and I was sent to the school's sanatorium 
which was literally a building away from the rest of the kids where they put sick people. And I was put in there and they sent a doctor to see me who diagnosed me with depression. By this time I was 14, 15. And so I was then started on antidepressants and I stayed on those for the next 45 years till I was 60. So that was the start of it. I left school, um, still with a lot of stuff going on in my head, trying to find out who I was and so on, and ended up doing a psychology degree at what was then called the Northeast London Polytechnic. Now, although I was good at English, I was rubbish at maths. And what I hadn't realized is I'd signed up for a BSc rather than a BA. And this course had an unseen three hour statistics paper at the end of it, uh, which I hadn't quite realized when I signed up for it. Anyway, I managed to get through that, um, still on all the antidepressants, and I specialized in clinical and social psychology. And again, that was, well, all the clinical stuff. What are these pills doing to me? I want to read about it, find out about it. Um, left college with a degree eventually and thought, oh, that'll get me a job and then I'll be able to get sorted out. But instead I ended up homeless and jobless. Luckily, I met a bunch of other homeless people and we set up a sort of hippie commune in the East End of London and got some houses from the council, fixed those up and lived an idyllic life again for a while. Then I went to sign on one day and they said, we've got a job for you, the other side of the counter. So then I became a clerk in the Dole office. Then I got a job with a voluntary organization advising homeless people using my experience of homelessness. And then eventually got a job with the council as a housing officer. Then I think I started to become very frustrated when I saw how the system worked as a housing officer. And I saw what decisions the bosses were making. And then I saw how people lived on the estates. And I knew about my own experience being homeless. And I thought, this is nuts. These people don't know what they're doing. And I just thought, I can do this better. I'm going to get into one of those jobs as soon as. So I put my head down and worked very hard. And from the age of 26 to 34, I went through a range of councils and positions and went from housing officer to director at 34, where I was managing over 20,000 properties, 500 staff, and a number of politicians who were extremely difficult to deal with. Then, all the time throughout this period, I was taking antidepressants, more and more and more of them. They'd also introduced electroconvulsive therapy because they said I had a particularly resistant form of depression. So the doses were going up, then I would frequently go and have my head fried with the ECT. Along the way, I'd met somebody, got married and we'd had a child. And it's interesting joining the dots looking backwards because then you can see the patterns much easier. And all I'd done is recreated my parents' marriage. Disaster. Um, not surprising, but that's what happened. So then we ended up getting divorced and I lost 90% of everything in that divorce. And um, when I complained about it, the judge just said, if you don't shut up, I'll have you taken down. My solicitor just said, let it go. Mm -hmm. So it was time to start again. At the same time, I got called into the chief exec's office um, and he said, look, there's no right or wrong way to say this. They want you out. So just like that, I'd lost my job as well and everything. So back to being homeless and jobless again. I managed to rent a small flat for a while and I met somebody who gave me a job in their nursery um, as a play worker, play care worker. So then I spent my days taking the kids to school uh, getting their breakfast and tea ready and wiping up their accidents, <laughs> which is quite similar to working with politicians. It was the same kind of mess, really. <laughs> and um, 
I thought, well, this is interesting, but I can't do this forever. And then an idea came to me about doing interim work. And I thought, why not use what I've learned in housing? And off I went as an interim, going around the country, advising different housing authorities and organizations on their policies and strategies. All the time, um, increasing the amount of antidepressants that I was taking and then also the number of electroconvulsive therapy sessions became more frequent. And no matter where I was in the country, I was having to come back to London to have more ECT sessions. Then what happened was um, everything kind of fell apart. I'd come back to London, I'd got myself a permanent job, I'd met somebody on my travels who'd moved in with me. But then came 2008-9 and the crash, and all the contracts dried up. So the bills piled up, including the repossession notices, and I went back down the plug hole again. I ended up in a bath with two bottles of wine, I think it was two to start with, and just about every antidepressant I could find in the house, and I just took the lot. Um, it was also around the, that time that the relationship ended too, and that just sort of tipped me over the edge. So having taken all this stuff, I thought it was a belt and braces job. I thought that what would happen was the pills and the drink would just knock me out and finish me off. And if that didn't happen, well, I was in the bath, so then I'd sink underwater and that would make absolutely sure that it was done. However, I came round and found myself in a locked ward in a mental hospital. To this day, I've no idea how I got there. I didn't have any clothes. I had, you know, one of those hospital gowns from my backside hanging out the back of it. And um, I was there, it must have been for about three weeks. I don't know for sure. Every day I was just dosed up more and more. Every couple of days, it seemed I was taken down the hall and given more brain frying with the ECT. And I really didn't know how on earth I was gonna get out of there. I said, look, can I go home? I need to get some clothes and so on. Nope, you can't because you don't have a responsible adult to look after you. Well, I didn't know who on earth to contact, but luckily they had a computer in the ward and I was scrolling through Facebook and I recognized a guy I was at school with 20 years ago well, I hadn't seen him for 20 years, and I just thought, it's worth a try. So I messaged him and said, no, I haven't seen you for over 20 years, but could you come spring me from a mental hospital? <laughs> oh, my word. <laughs> We're laughing, but I mean, it's, it's terrible, really, isn't it? But you have to keep, you know, the, see the light side of these things. So, so he, 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 he sprung you out, did he? He did because I'd been sectioned and then locked in there. And so he came down, he drove down from Warwickshire to Harrow, which is where the hospital was. And he said, I'll look after him. I've known him from school days and um, they let him take me out. So, wow. So now <laughs> um, what, 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 what year were you in by this stage, Tony? What, what, what's, what was the era? How many years ago? This was... Uh, Christmas 2011 when I tried to commit suicide so it's just coming up to 10 years ago. Um, then I went back home and they started to send what they called care workers to see me on a daily basis to make sure that I was taking the pills and, and doing what I should be doing. During this period an old friend of mine who I'd worked with previously who is now my wife was ringing up to say, how are you? Can I come and see you? And I go, no, no, no. Don't want to come and see the state I'm in. I've just been sprung from a mental hospital. No. Anyway, she just turned up on the doorstep. <laughs> so <laughs> I couldn't really throw her out. And then we got together. Now, she also worked in local government. And uh, then we decided that I would move to her house, would rent my house out before it was repossessed and try and work out what to do next. Then we saw this property event being advertised, training in property. We went along to that one weekend and ended up with a property coach who said, right, you should sell one of your houses and move out of London and go and invest in the North. 
and thought, okay, sounds like a good idea, let's do that. This coach was an amazing guy, he's an Australian, and he was really totally woo-woo. Yeah. Now, on one hand, he'd send me all these sums to do, which is anathema to me, you know, to work out the rate of interest, rate of return, and so on. If you buy a house at this level, if you rent it out, then what, and so on. Did my head in totally, but managed to do it. But on the other hand, he said, look, I know that you're on these pills, why don't you read some books? And he gave me a list of books to read by John Demartini, Joe Vitale, Marissa mm -hmm. Peer. And so I started reading all these things and I thought, do you know what? This is a damn sight more interesting than property. Mm -hmm. um, we followed the property route anyway. Now here's the interesting thing. We went up to Halifax to buy our first property. There were complications legally, being a lawyer, you know all this stuff, mm -hmm. flying and creeping freeholds, which is stuff that you just didn't get in London. So we thought, well, this is really complicated. Should we go through with it or not? We thought, okay, we'll do it. But then I ended up on the floor, unable to wee. And my wife had to take me down to A&E and they said, oh, it looks like I've got a prostate problem here. Um, we're seeing it for some biopsies. Now, strangely, our property coach had said, I want you to go and see a friend of mine. He's a sports psychologist who practices kinesiology and also something called, he wrote a book called The Gamma Mindset. So then it was using all his meditation and what he suggested after doing the kinesiology that changed things for me also. He told me to bring all the pills I had down to him, which I did, and then he tested through the muscle testing with the kinesiology in my arm. He said, your body doesn't want any of this stuff, so throw them all away. And I said, well, I can't, I can't, how am I gonna live without them? Throw them away. And he said, I'll give you some vitamins and some minerals, which will help you. He said, you're gonna have a difficult time. It's gonna be uncomfortable, but you've got to get off these once and for all. So I said, okay. And he said, also to help, clear your system, go and get some colonic irrigation. Okay, so I ended up going to get some colonic irrigation as well. And the lady who was giving that to me said, well, look, you've got all these issues. Have you ever tried bioresonance? And I said, oh, what's that? Anyway, she explained, still didn't get it, but she sent me off to go and see this chap. And it was remarkable. And this was all around the same time as having the prostate scare. And when I went to see the consultants after having the first biopsy, he just said, I don't know what's happened, but it's stable. And I'm gonna send you back to you know, GP, but come in for another biopsy. I went and had some more bioresonance, came back after the second biopsy, he said, look, here's the good news. You haven't got cancer. And I'm discharging you back to your GP for good. I went, well, that's a result went back to the bioresonance guy and said, look, that's brilliant. Now listen, I've got sciatica, arthritis, and um, something else, sciatica, arthritis, and a slip disc. Can you fix that too? Because I said, I'm taking all these pills for depression still, but I've just about got off those, but I, the pain is too much. And I said, I'm taking tramadol and gabapentin, and they keep pumping me full of this stuff. Can you fix that? And he did, and I threw those pills away as well. And I lost two stone, I went back to the gym, and now I'm off all the meds. And I said to the guy, this is brilliant. Get me one of these devices and teach me how to use it. So he did. And I said, thank you, I never wanna go back on that stuff again. And so that was sort of how we got into it. And the money that we'd set aside to buy property, didn't get used on that. We just bought more devices and then the clinic. Now, it's, again, it's another woo-woo story. Um, because of our property coach and what he told us to do, he said, you know, learn to meditate, get into that as well, okay? And then as a result of that, we ended up going on a weekend course to tune into your intuition. That's what it was all about. It was called Super Genius, run by a guy called Ryan Pinnock. I don't know if you've come across him. No. 
Um, so went along to that and we met a lady who just said, what do you do? And I said, well, we're sort of working out what we're doing, but we've just got a bioresonance device. And she said, oh, I've got a physiology, uh, sorry, physiotherapy business in Wimbledon. I think that a lot of my clients would love what you're doing. Um, you can have a room down there, come and set up. So we did, and then COVID hit. So then, although we'd moved down, we couldn't get the business going. So we moved back up to Halifax, and then just thought, you know what, let's, let's just try and work out how to do this in Wimbledon. So we came back to Wimbledon and found our own premises and um, have set up after getting all these other bits and pieces. So it's a, quite a strange and long journey, but a lot of it has just been ideas, the, the in the shower moments and guidance from goodness knows where saying, actually, this is what you should do. Mm. The very, very clear messages were, no, you're not doing property, you're gonna do health. Mm. And to prove it, I'm gonna make you even sicker. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and that's what's happened. So what you were saying about all of us having gone through this is just so true. And that's what's brought us to where we are. Yes, fabulous, absolutely. So you've gone, you've gone, I've written down here, you've gone from Windrush to wellness. Yes, oh, I love that. That would be a fantastic title for your book. You well, must write a book one day if you haven't already started it. I have started it, but I, I love that as a title. I think I may well have that. Wellness. Yeah. From Windrush to Wellness. Love it. Awesome. <laughs> um, we're, we're doing another book um, probably next year now. We did, I did a collaboration. My, um, my PA said to me, you ought to write a book. And um, I couldn't be bothered at the time. This was, I don't know, two or three years ago. And um, I said, I, I, I don't mind writing a chapter, but you know, a whole book at, at that stage was just, just too much. And uh, anyway, long story short, we created a collaboration. Um, I've got a, a Facebook group with um, nearly 4,000 people um, all about wellness and well-being and being proactive and so on. It's called the Perfect Health Wellness Club. You won't find it because we've had to make it private because we started getting trolls in because the more we talk about natural health, the more we get shut down. My Facebook group and my Facebook, well, the group as well, but the um, my personal profile has been, they call it shadow band. When you look now, you hardly see anybody. I know I know people do see things because they tell me what they've seen or they, they share things, whatever, but there's hardly any likes or comments or anything and I used to get hundreds every day so there's there's something not quite right there which is why I've created my own private platform now which gradually will be will be going on to um, but we created this um this book and it was a collection of um health stories how people had gone from you know a bit like your situation um and I, I can't remember how many authors we had maybe 10 or 12 something like that and we have number one bestseller so we've, we've created now three number one Amazon bestsellers and um, doing it through collaboration but I still haven't written my whole story because there's just so much to it um, and I'm, I'm in my 60s and then you know because we get to this age and there's so much stuff that and I, I think I've probably forgotten half of what what I've been through it's only every now and then you get a trigger memory that you think oh yeah I did that and I, you know I've forgotten that I used to run cardiovascular health clinics until somebody said something the other day and oh okay yeah <laughs> yeah I've been there done that sort of thing <laughs> it's fascinating fascinating so um all of these um devices that you have they're all physically in your practice and 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 do you in your, in your building so do you, you live and you work there and you everything's all self-contained then is it um the clinic's in an, a different building you know we live in a flat nearby right right okay so you're, you're on hand to, to to see what's what and do do you do you and your wife actively kind of work with all the devices or do you have practitioners that come in who specialize in each of the areas how does that work um, we work in all the devices and so we've had to have extensive training in bioresonance which is just ongoing forever mm. and then we had to get a certificate to operate the hyperbaric oxygen chamber to do the training for that um, the light bed's not that difficult to operate and also we've had to have training from a doctor for the heart rate variability monitor as well. So the only ones who work in this at the moment, but um, hopefully we'll be able to take people on at some point. Excellent. 
with the heart rate variability I was doing this I don't know probably 12 years ago something like that and it was really new really new woo woo at that stage and um the there's lots of devices now that that, that can can provide that that service um but I remember teaching where I lived in Wiltshire um there was I actually got reported by a doctor a cardiologist who uh, thought what I was doing was ridiculous you know how dare I and you know he's a cardiologist and what do I know about anything and you know my training and everything was in question and because I was recommending a natural supplement um I had um I had a, a visit from the what do they call them trading standards I think it was so they bought um they had to buy because that's what they do. They, you can't just give them something to test. So they bought a part of the natural substance that I was recommending. They tested it in the, in the laboratories and they came back and reassured me that it was okay, which of course I knew because I, you know, I was recommending it. And I was having clients that were coming off of themselves. They were, they were taking themselves off of their heart medication, off of the statins, off of the beta blockers. And um, they were using the supplement plus diet and lifestyle and changes and exercise and all that stuff as well. So it's not there's no one size. You can't just press a button and everything's fine. And a lot of people don't realise that they actually have to work. They have to put some effort into it to fix themselves. And um, anyway, long story short, I've spent many times since then meeting with um, this lovely gentleman and um, he apologised to me. And um, it turns out he had a mental condition. Um, which was undiagnosed. He was, um, um, well, I better not say the condition because just in case anybody's listening and puts puts two and two together of, of um, I'm in Portugal now, but yeah, I don't want to cause any difficulties for anybody, but he, um, he was kind of on overdrive, shall we say, and um, was affronted by this, you know, young whippersnapper that was, you know, saying how, you know, how, how people could help themselves naturally rather than the heart surgery and all this sort of thing. Um, anyway, I taught him about heart rate variability using the system that I was using, and he was fascinated. And I had many conversations with him in, in the, my kitchen about it. So you just never know. So, you know, none of us knows all the answers, but we all know bits and pieces. And by sharing and collaborating, we can help so many people. And it, to me, it's, it's such a privilege to be able to do that from personal experience, from training. And every day is a school day, isn't it? I think what you said there is so fascinating because what's been strange is that we thought that we'd be hammered by medical people for this. And yet the first four people that called, two psychiatrists, a radiologist and a pharmacist. Wow. And, you know, we, we just thought these are not the people that we thought would be coming to us. But um, there seems to be... At the beginning, you talked about the wind of change and that things are changing. Mm. And I don't know, I'm hopeful that maybe this is part of it. I also spoke to a doctor friend who said that she's leaving the NHS and she's setting up a holistic clinic as well. Um, she wants to do integrative medicine and says, you know, I want to join with some of the holistic stuff and um, not just give prescriptions to people. I'm fed up of it. And she said, so many of my friends are in a similar position. And it, it just feels like things are changing. Um, I hope I'm not being too optimistic, but it just feels like there is a shift away from the pill for an ill mentality. Yes, I, I feel there's a significant change going on in the energy and the frequency of, of what's happening in the world today. And um, the, the realization that people need to look after their own health, that you can't outsource your health and well-being to a doctor, to, a, to anybody, to your family members. I've spent a couple of years um, in the past managing, not managing, answering calls on a cancer helpline. So I'd be taking calls as a volunteer from people who'd been newly diagnosed with cancer or their families, friends, whatever they you know they wanted to help. And um, I found... Um, so many similarities, um, which is why I do what I now do, because I've had cancer for different, four different versions of cancer, four different episodes. I've cured myself of the kidney disease I was born with, uh, blah, blah, blah. So from personal experience, much as much as yourself, when you when you when you join the dots at the time, you know, you think, oh, you know, now what now what sort of thing? And I've been homeless as well. And in fact, I'm technically homeless now. But my home is where I lay my hat, you know, wherever I am, I make, I make home, you know, 
um, but I'm definitely in transition at the moment. Um, so it, it's it's the realization, it, getting the realization over to people that they cannot outsource their health. It's just not possible. And if they choose to do that, fine. But then you have to have, suffer the consequences. And every single drug has a side effect. And then they tell you, you know, read the label. Who reads the label? You take the pills. I bet you never read your labels, did you? Of um, side effects and whatnot. I bet you didn't read them very often. I did at one point, and that was part of the wake-up. I was on these antidepressants, and of course, you look at what it says on the leaflet, uh, may make you depressed and feel suicidal. Mm-hmm. Why are you giving me pills with yeah. a side effect that says yeah. will make me feel suicidal when mm-hmm. you're giving me the pills to stop me feeling suicidal, and so on and so on. It's yeah. bonkers. Yeah. Bonkers. Absolutely bonkers. Um, going back to your school days, um, I chuckled to myself when you were saying about copying how you how you speak um, with this chap. Did, did that chap ever know what you were doing? No. <laughs> I wondered. I wondered if he was going to be the guy that sprung you out of the mental place, but it was somebody different, was it? It was. It was someone different. Yeah. Brilliant. Uh, so interesting how people come into our lives at certain times for certain reasons. There's something, um, is it people come into our lives for a reason, a season or lifetime? And um, when we look back, we can see, you know, the seasonal people, the reason people and, and so on and so forth. But um, like you, I'm, I'm, I'm finding so many more people on, on my wavelength that are just, just appearing. And, and the synchronicities are just mind-blowing, absolutely mind-blowing. Um, and, and the important side of things, you know, the mindset... Um, you mentioned John D. Martini. I met him um, a couple of years ago, and um, lots of people I've, you know, I, I, I'm always listening to YouTube videos and uh, Dr. Bruce Lipton and uh, Joe Dispenza and people who are just, you know, talk so much common sense to me. And although they're doctors, they're they're more kind of research um, doctors as opposed to medical doctors. And um, every single day I learn something and join another dot here and there. So it's it, it's fascinating. So what would be your, your advice, Tony, to, um, to anybody listening to this recording? What would your kind of top, top tips be for anybody who's, you know, maybe in the process of waking up to the realisation about the, the, the health and well-being? I think a lot of it is down to what you've said about taking responsibility yourself um, and also researching what alternatives there are. I think what happens is that people are, because we're programmed from birth really to to listen to the traditional medical model to understand that you know this is the right thing to do and it's the only way to do it, and it's not necessarily. Um, and also, everybody's body is different. So when people are saying, you know, this is what you have to do, this is what you have to take, it's not necessarily so. If 100 people have a headache and you give them all an aspirin for it, it might fix it for some people. For others, it's going to make them more ill. And for others, it's not going to make any difference at all. And what people need to do is work out how their own bodies work. For instance, you get people who say, you know, the way to optimise your life is to get up at five o'clock in the morning. Well, that might work for some people. Other people have different body clocks, which starts and will optimize at different times of the day. So not everybody has to get up at five o'clock. And if you don't, it doesn't mean you're going to be a failure. So it's working out what's, what's best for you. And the other thing is that as you start to tune into your body more, your body will tell you what to do. It will tell you what it likes, what it doesn't like. It will tell you how much sleep it needs. It will tell you what foods it does and doesn't like. And I think it's, it's taken me an awful long time, but I think that if we can teach people and kids in particular, younger, to trust their intuition more, learn that their gut feeling literally is the gut feeling uh, and follow that, I think that that will have a big impact on people. There's a book called Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Yes, uh, Kiyosaki. It's it, Kiyosaki, where he explains very clearly that the education system has failed children in that 
it doesn't teach children about mm. how to make a living and how to be financially independent. And I think that there's a corollary in health, mm. whereas if we teach children similarly, this is how your body works. When you feel like this, this is what your body's telling you. And if we can teach them from an early age to go with that, rather than, you know, sometimes, you know, kids are saying, oh, I've got to tell you, I'll oh, stop whining, shut up, mm. eat. Right. You know, if we listen to the kids and say, okay, so what do you want to do instead? Or how do you feel? Do you want to lie down? If we are more sensitive to what they're saying, then they will become more sensitive to how they're feeling. And that will help them an awful lot. And if we could combine the two, the sort of the financial training as well as the health training, then I think that will do kids a whole lot more good than what they're pumped with from an early age at the moment. Mm, absolutely. I'm always saying to people, follow your intuition. Your body will tell you, know your body, understand your body, know when it's not you know it's it's not happy it, it, it will tell you and then you can decide what to do where to go um i would add another ingredient in there with the um the students i first got trained in behavioral profiling over 25 years ago and um that goes through everything that i do so i i offer a variety of different testings which is all based at home rather than having a, a physical place um now which i've had in the past so i i offer health testing at home which um is a, a blood analysis, it's a hair analysis. So we can, people can see what the mineral imbalances are. I have a metabolic analysis, gut health is, is coming on shortly. But a key thing in there is behavior. So um, I have my, my own system that I've devised based on the DISC model of behavioral profiling. And the reason I was so interested in it was because my own profile, had I known about my behavior when I was a student, I probably wouldn't have got myself into so much hot water and I probably would have started a business maybe earlier instead of wasting five years. I, I walked out of school at 16 years old or barely 16 and I just didn't turn up one day. I used to bunk off anyway. Uh, but if it wasn't for the sports field and, and the, all the you know activities I was doing, um, I used to bunk off to the local cemetery and wander around there because my family was known. Um, I had to go somewhere that nobody would think of looking for me, you know. <laughs> um, <laughs> So, uh, so that, that's, that's kind of how I got through school. But I started my first business, I think I was about 21, 22, something like that. And um, yeah, I was 22. And um, so the behavior side of things um, and the fact that I ask questions, I'm, I challenge, I don't, I'm not a, I'm not a very good um, role model for following rules. I, I like to know what the rules are so I can then know, know work out how to break them if, if, they, if, they, if it's a dumb, stupid rule in my, my view. So the behaviour side of things. So the reason I include that with what I do now is because, and it's the first thing I look at, I can then see from the behaviour pattern what the behaviour is of the person I'm, uh, who's asked me to help them with their health. And I can show them categorically that they are ill now because of their behaviour, the way they've been behaving all their life. Has, net, has caused part of the problem. Obviously, this, this, this is just a tiny part of what happens in our life. But when we understand how a behaviour can either help us or get in the way, that, you know, it's remarkable. It, it, and it is a life changer. It's a game changer for some people. And I started, when I first got trained in behavioural profiling, I started working as an external consultant in schools. And I was teaching teachers how to understand the behaviours in the class for the children, as young as, you know, kindy age as well. So I've got presentations I do with pictures of animals and we talk about animal behaviour and guaranteed if you were to ask a child to choose one of the four animal pictures, they will resonate with the animal behaviour that resonates with them. You know, this is how they are. So there's so much that you can bring into to things. And so the health and well-being. And I knew 25 years ago, as soon as I got introduced to behavioural profiling, it would be part and parcel of everything I do. So whether I was doing an interim management consultancy or chief executive law firm or whatever, all the things that I've done, behaviour is a, an integral part of it. And I'm now um, I'm now in discussions with somebody who wants to use my model um, because I've 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 got my own version that relates to health and well-being. So I can show people on a 17, 17 page report that I've created about the health and well-being and how it's affected. And. Um, music to my ears when you mentioned students because 
this person um, wants to use my system to work with students, university students, and everything now is, is it's like our time has come. It's just, it's just the energy is just fantastic. Absolutely fantastic. I think, um, you know, what you said about the behavior is so important too. Um, I was lucky enough to attend one of Dr. John Domartini's courses and he did the breakthrough experience on me. He pulled me out in front of people and said, right, tell me someone who's really upset you in your life and why? I said, well, my ex-wife, why? Well, she you know, did this, that, 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 and so on and so forth. And he said, so you've been running this story around in your head for how many years now? 20 years, and you're still upset about it. Yeah, you know, without saying you're an idiot, he made me go through all the benefits of having gone through that relationship. Mm -hmm. Starting with, you know, he said, well, come on, give me the first one. I said, oh. I said okay, uh, I'm not in that relationship anymore. Good, what else? Well, I'm less stressed, good, what else? And he made me carry it on and on and on until I come up with about 50 reasons. And he said, right, now how do you feel about it? Well, I suppose I learned a lot from it. Yeah, and what else? Well, I suppose I ought to be grateful for it. Good, now yeah. you learn. <laughs> um, and again, it's the behavioural thing um, because we grow up with these behaviours and models in our head, which are completely the wrong ones. Yes, absolutely. You mentioned the C word earlier on, conditioning. We're conditioned, we're conditioned from birth. We're conditioned by social media, by the television, by friends, family all around. And no end of people have said to me, oh, I had this treatment. Um, I didn't want to, but I had it because my wife made me or my, my daughter you know, was worried that I wasn't gonna live and, and so on and so forth. People don't, don't listen to themselves, their own inner voice, their intuition, etc. cetera. And um, it's, it's just so, so important, so, so important. Anyway, we could talk for we could talk for days, Tony. I can see that it's been fascinating hearing hearing how you've got to where you are today. And I wish you very well with the the, the clinic. And I will definitely be referring people to you over in Wimbledon. So so website details, contact details. How do people find you? Right, website is www.total-body-health.com. Right, okay. So total-body-health.com. Right, that's easy enough. So they can get hold of you and your wife there, look at all these systems. Presumably you've got them on the site, have you? The website shows all the different devices. It shows, talks about the science behind them, how they can help you. And um, it's got the phone number as well. Brilliant. So Tony Courtney Brown from the Total Body Health Clinic, thank you so much for your time today and I'm sure we're going to be talking and featuring you again very soon. Thank you Elaine.